Just a small shout out to a few of my friends who have been listening and sharing this podcast. Alric, Juana, and Rachel, I really want to say thank you so much for supporting me and you guys are the best. Thanks. Hello everyone, it's Jess. Thank you for listening to Missing at 5280 and I hope everyone is staying safe and healthy. Ever since I can remember, true crime has been an interest of mine. It started as a kid on the weekends in my pajamas eating cereal, and watching reruns of shows such as Forensic Files and Unsolved Mysteries, which is originally where I had heard of this next case I bring to you. In this episode, we will travel back in time over 20 years to 1999 in the rural town of Nucla, Colorado. This happened before the days of everyone carrying a cell phone everywhere and businesses being covered in surveillance cameras. This is the story of Del Williams' disappearance. What would you like to come out of this podcast? Um, well, with any podcast, I always hope that it that it just increases awareness or, you know, I'm one of those people that if, they're, if it, people are talking, I don't care how they're talking. I don't care if it's rumors. I don't care if it's true or not, just that people are talking. That's what's important to me. Um, so that that's always my goal for any podcast is just to, or any interviews to just get people talking about it again because this case is over 20 years old now and um, people that may know something are, you know, they're, they're getting up there in age. So eventually if somebody doesn't say something soon, there's not going to be anybody left to say anything. To start off, we will talk about the 0.72 square mile town of Nucla, Colorado. If you missed that last part, the town is less than a square mile of land. It is 350 miles from Denver and about 60 miles from the nearest stoplight. Nucla is located in southwest Colorado, just north of the San Juan Mountains. The town was founded in 1912 and relied mostly on mining to support it. In the 1980s, a decline in the industry forced a lot of changes onto the small town. Movie theaters, shops, and bars closed down and the population started to dwindle. According to the 2010 census, there was only 711 people living in Nucla, Colorado. A fun fact, less than 10 years ago, Nucla became the first town in Colorado to mandate gun ownership. Dale Williams was born July 15, 1956, in the town of Nucla, Colorado. He was one of four sons and graduated from Nucla High School in the 70s. After graduation, he met and married Diana. They settled down together in Nucla and went on to have two daughters, Tony and Sarah, that became his pride and joy. He was a pillar of the community, volunteering and fundraising for local projects, along with owning many of the businesses in town. A movie theater he turned into an auction site, auctioning being a hobby he would carry with him even after he himself stopped auctioning. He owned and ran a glass shop and an auto body shop, while Diana owned and operated the town's video rental store. You may remember the days of places like Hollywood Video and Blockbuster, but I digress. Dale and Diana brought so many positive memories to the town of Nucla. Uh, dress up as Santa Claus and run around to his friend's house with kids. 
uh, delivering presents. He would, um, the fire, uh, the firehouse would always do a, like a handout, Santa Claus handout gift bag thing around wintertime or Christmas time. And so he would help with that. Um, he drove the homecoming Queens, uh, in the parade and onto the football field for, for homecoming. Uh, he, you know, he was just, he was just really involved in his community and loved the people there. In May of 1998, Dale and Diana were approached by a friend's wife. The man had known Dale since they were in grade school and the two couples were very close. This woman needed help to get herself and her son out of state before her husband came back from a business trip. Due to undisclosed circumstances, they obliged and helped the woman get out of Colorado. About a month later, Dale's shop was broken into. There were pictures of the two couples torn and scattered about with 22 caliber casings. Dale's gun, the 22, was missing, but it wasn't long before it would show up in the drop box of Diana's video rental store. It is now May 27, 1999. Things seem to have blown over since there have been no incidents since the gun had been found at the video store drop box. Dale is at his body shop with his friend named Tom Ross and his friend's son. They were playing darts when Dale received a phone call from what Tom Ross has interpreted to be a female by how Dale was speaking to the caller, but the sex of this person has never been identified. The caller was a stranded motorist who claimed to be less than a mile away from the Bedrock store, a small general store in the neighboring town about 15 to 20 minutes from Dale's shop, and needed help. It is said a wrecker was offered, but the caller declined, saying they didn't need a tow. Dale said his goodbyes to Tom and his son, and then headed to his best friend Steve's shop. When he arrived, Steve's wife, Tammy, told Dale that he was not in, and Dale spoke briefly with her about a windshield he was to be repairing later that week, but departed after the short conversation and has never been seen again. Initially, I, I believe that he was looking for his friend, Steve, Lawrence, and um, she had said, his wife had said, oh, he's out doing deliveries, and he's like, oh, okay, well... I just stopped by to let you know that I was going to work on your windshield on Tuesday. And uh, Tammy always thought that was kind of weird. She had told me um, just uh, last year that, you know, he didn't have to say, he didn't have to stop by to tell her that. He could have called. And she just thought it was weird, you know. So I think that that my dad was actually trying to find somebody to go with him. Because there was some stuff going on with the... Um, you know, uh, somebody had broken into his shop and, and, uh, tore up some pictures of he and my mom and another couple and scattered bullets around and stole a gun and then dropped the gun off in my mom's shop. And, you know, there was some stuff going on that made them uncomfortable. And so I think that he, because of those things, and just wanted somebody, you know, that he trusted to go along with him. The next day, Dale's wife awoke and realized he had not gotten home. The night before, she had made a phone call to the auto body shop around 12 a.m., but when there was no answer, she assumed he was busy and didn't hear the call. It was not unlike him to stay at his shop working on a project until the early morning hours, but Dale always returned before they had woke. This was out of character, and she started driving around the town looking for him. 
Gail's mother joined her and they filed a missing persons report. Two days after he disappeared, his daughter, Tony, drove home from Delta, Colorado, where she was attending college. The family had set up a search for Dale and almost 500 people attended. There was no sign of Dale, not his truck, nor any of his tools he would have used to help a distressed motorist. It seemed like he just vanished. It wouldn't be until the 4th of July that anything would be uncovered, but what was discovered took this case from a missing person to suspected foul play. It was during a fishing trip when a young man new to the area got his fishing line caught on something. He jumped into the confluence of the San Miguel and Dolores rivers and stood up on what he presumed was a refrigerator. But when he went underwater, he was able to see it was the white 1994 Ford pickup of the town's missing man, Dale Williams. After the truck was found, it was decided that the town's tiny police force was not cut out for this, and they invited outside investigators from the CBI and the FBI. In an effort to find Dale, 
They posted missing flyers throughout the town. In the town's post office, they were all being removed. Diana had a surveillance camera set up, and it was discovered that the man taking them down was none other than the ex of the woman Diana and Dale helped get out of Colorado. He was questioned and polygraphed and was cleared, with what I will refer to as a very loose alibi. That's not the only strange part of this story, though. Very close to the time of Dale's disappearance, all the way in Delta, Colorado, at a drive-in where Tony worked, an unidentified man was asking her great-aunt and uncle if she was working. She was not, so the man went across the street and used the payphone for about 10 minutes. The witnesses to the story have since passed. Tony's fears are that with everyone that is connected to the story getting up in age, other information will be forever lost. Information that could solve this case and give her and her family closure. To give this small town closure. The lives of Dale's family and friends have forever been changed. A light that Dale brought into this world had almost vanished along with him, but his daughters have persevered. They have gone on to be the very successful women Dale had raised, leaving a legacy he would only be proud of. But it hasn't been an easy road for this family. We both got married without our dad there. The stuff that people take for granted with their parents, we didn't get. Like, my kids, my sister's kids, um, my dad would have had five grandkids between the, between my sister and I. So, my grandma died without knowing what happened to her son. My uncles are getting older. Um, one of them can't even talk about it. Um, this has distanced a lot of people in my family. Um... My uncles have really suffered a lot. My uncles were very close. All four of those boys were really close with each other. This family is still searching for answers and is on what it seems to be like a ticking clock. At the time of his disappearance, Dale was 42 years old. He's a Caucasian male with graying brown hair and blue eyes with a full beard. He stood at 5 feet, 7 inches tall, and weighed about 170 pounds. He was wearing a blue shirt and blue jeans. He has a birthmark under his left jaw and scars under his chin and on both jaw bones. If you have any tips, please contact the Montrose County Sheriff's Office at 970-252-4039 or reach out to Crime Stoppers for their maxed out reward. Please help this family find closure. What's your theory as to what happened? Um, I think that, um, I think, I think that my dad was murdered. And, um, don't think it was one person. <laughs>